When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, guys, to part two of this incredible episode with my girl, the expert on boundaries and living your fulfilled, non-codependent, toxic-free life, Terry Cole. Now, if you're recovering from codependency and starting to recognize your anxious attachment styles in past or actually in present relationships after part one, then my girls, stay tuned. So whether you need stronger boundaries with others or need to check yourself with your own boundaries, then homie, this conversation is so jam-packed with gems that you're going to want a part three. So let's just dive in right now to part two with the boundary boss herself, Terry Cole on Women of Impact with me, your host, Lisa Bibbiu. So what's the difference then, um, let's say in situations like that, where some people, you give them the benefit of the doubt versus, oh no, you actually need to have the doubt here. Yes. I think, again, we are taking an inventory and we are paying attention and we are being awake. We're not being seduced by their behavior to be asleep. We are awake and paying attention to what they're doing and what they're saying. That is really important. So if they are it depends on what what the um, what are they doing? Like, what is their behavior? If they're not following through, right? Because we kind of switched gears into narcissism and mm-hmm. looking into into that stuff. This is really with narcissism. This is um, a different thing to pay attention to, because you're really talking about people who can be very emotionally dangerous and incredibly charming. That's why it's called love bombing. That's what it feels like. You you don't even have time to come up for air mm. and to be like, wait a minute, how do I feel about this? Did I just plan a trip to wherever? Like, like am I going to Paris with this person? Like, what is happening? Even though it's exciting. So what I do, I invite you, if you're in a situation like this or you've had this experience, to really think about what were the red flags that you ignored? Because they are there. I promise you that even the most clever narcissist is revealing themselves in some way. But it's so, you know, we have the love hormones like pulsating through our bodies. So it's so easy Mm. to be like, I'm high on dopamine. I don't know what's going on. Mm. But you do. So I say, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be a bummer. I'm not saying that every person who treats you well is love bombing you. Here's the thing. Someone said to me, oh, so if someone treats you great and takes you out and gives you compliments, that just means they're a manipulative narcissist? I'm like, of course not. Because if they're not, that behavior will stay. My husband is the same loving. Someone might say he loved bombing, is bombing me, but he doesn't because it's 25 years. He's just a lover. He's just kind. He's just thoughtful. He's just always thinking about me because that's his nature and the relationship that we have. If it doesn't end, it's not love bombing, right? Mm. The whole love bombing is only a manipulation technique that gets you under the person's spell, but then they become mean, judgmental, manipulative, step out on you, all these things. So if that doesn't happen, maybe they're just a super thoughtful, lovely person. But I find that a super lovely person who's just generous and loving is not someone who feels compelled to accelerate the timeline 
creating like a false sense of intimacy that has not been earned. It is unearned intimacy. If in three weeks the person's like, let's pick out our wedding venue. You're like, hello? And if you may want to go along with it because you're afraid to say, hey, it's a little soon, and they may make you feel terrible for saying it's a little soon. I can't believe this. I thought we were on the same page. Mm -hmm. I thought you loved me. I thought, you know, you're the one. How can you be like this? You're breaking my heart. Like there's all of these different ways that someone can overreact when you're trying to tap the brakes, even tapping it a little. Pay attention to that. If someone overreacts like that, no. They've, they've got some other game. There is some other manipulation technique at work right there. They're trying to get a certain amount of control over you because you have a right to the way you feel, right? Any relationship that's highly codependent, a lot of times it's like, it has to be group think, like we're not allowed to have our own feelings. You're allowed to say, hey, I need some time. I need to spend time with my friends. I'm doing that, that this weekend and expect the other person to respect it, right? We can't be mm -hmm. so invested in their approval that we self-abandon. Speaking of self-abandon, when, as we go through all of this, I love the tactics that you're giving, you start to set the boundaries, but often I notice that we then abandon our boundaries mm -hmm. because of the dopamine, because of the excitement. Like when you said um, they love bomb you so you don't have time to come up for air, like that visual really hit me because once you get caught up in that momentum, you're almost like shutting down your subconscious of actually speaking to you. And when you come up for air, you then like, oh, is this too soon? And so I, that really hit me. Um, but in that process, even if you've set the boundaries and you've done the work, how do you make sure that you don't self-abandon and abandon your boundaries? You know, it's a really good point that you bring up because especially if you're not used to setting boundaries or if you're not used to people respecting your boundaries, yeah. There is, and I write about this in the book about, you know, I have a 24 or 48 hour rule that once you set a boundary, you cannot, my suggestion is do not go back and take it back. Give yourself the time. It's okay. If it's new to you, you're going to feel anxious about setting a boundary. You're going to be worried about being rejected. That's okay. Go out with your friends, watch a movie, like do something to distract yourself, but don't take it back. Because if you felt strongly enough to set it in the first place, it's probably a valid boundary request that you put out there. And when the other person says, um, okay, I respect your boundary, blah, 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 do not say, it's no big deal. Do not say, all right, just this time is fine, but for next time. Do not say, I don't know, I think I was making a big deal out of nothing. These are all the ways that we can self-abandon. So you've got to get used to what it feels like to be respected. Get used to what it feels like to respect yourself. Because here's the thing, Lise, how we feel, what we think, what we want, how we feel, this has to be the most important thing to us. It can't be your partner, how they think, what they want, how they feel. We care about those things. It's very incredibly important to me, how my husband feels. It can't be more important to me than how I feel because this is how I can navigate my life, honestly and truthfully, is through my actual feelings. It doesn't mean I don't sometimes compromise. Of course I do in a long-term relationship, and you know this too, you and Tom do it as well. 
That's how we stay together. And a lot of times with my husband and I, we'll, we'll literally say, on a scale of one to 10, what, what's your desire on this? If my husband says anything over seven, I'm doing whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't feel like doing it, right? If his is a seven and I'm like, I don't know, I don't feel like doing it, but it's like a five, I'll do it because it's more important to him. But in this big scheme of life, anybody watching, anybody listening, your feelings have got to be, your feelings, thoughts, desires, what you want, that has to matter to you. And I feel like a lot of my therapy clients, they make their partner's thoughts, feelings, desires the most important thing and pleasing them the most important thing. But in the end, that's a short game that doesn't work for a long life. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work for a long life. We can't do it forever because we end up really martyred. We end up really mad at the other person. We're like, I sacrificed so much for you. And you're like, but who made you do that? You chose to do that. So it's very important that we talk about these things in relationships so that you're not endlessly self-sabotaging and endlessly self-abandoning in service of the relationship because ultimately it doesn't serve anybody. Mm. You said earlier that you're, you were codependent. So how did you work through that so to make sure then that you wouldn't then abandon yourself and your boundaries because um, you were saying in relationships it's important to be able to negotiate and to compromise and to make sure that it's, you know, you do want to make sure that it's about yourself, but also when you're in a partnership considering that other person. How did you actually then work through that if your inclination is to be Mm -hmm. a codependent? Well, for me, I had one really brutal relationship that was very codependent Mm. and it was incredibly exhausting and so emotionally distressing. Um, and it was relative, pretty long. It was, there was a number of years. And I really super loved this person, so we were also madly in love. But I learned that being codependent meant I would never be free, that I could never be myself because he wanted me all to my himself and I'm such an extrovert and I I knew there was something big this is decades ago but I knew my future was going to look like similar to what it does look like um and I knew I needed someone who was willing to share me with lots of people and who felt very secure so how I changed it is I broke it down in therapy to understand how did I end up in that relationship why did I feel responsible for that person's happiness, their actual feelings, I felt like were my responsibility. Like if he didn't like something I was doing, I would stop doing it. I remember where we hit a tipping point in the relationship where I'd gone away with my friends and like, you know, I would be talking to him the whole time that I was away. And do you know what I mean? Like you can't even be there because I'm worried Mm. that he's upset. Like what's happening at home with him and the cats while I'm here? Like not enjoying my friends and all my friends (laughs) hated me being in that relationship because I, I was barely around. Anyway, when I came back, I remember we had this fight and he was like, you don't understand. I don't like it when you do whatever the thing was. And I got it. And I was like, my God, you don't understand. We're two different people. You cannot like it and I can still do it. And I knew I was like, I got to get out of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I soon after that realization where I was like, he really thinks he has a right to tell me what I can and cannot do in this life. No, no. I, I got to be the boss of me. I got to be the only boss of me. And I really got broke up, moved out, 
then I doubled up on my therapy and I was like, how do I, how do I not repeat this? And I was very clear that it was having telling the truth about my preferences, my limits, and my deal breakers early and often in relationships. When I met my husband, I was like, this is what I'm looking for. I want someone who wants to have a first house and a second house. I would love to have a little like lake house somewhere. It'd be great. Someone who, I mean, I just had my list. Someone who has their own career, has their own money, is not threatened by my career or my money. Like I just said it because I was like, I don't want to spend another second in a relationship with someone with an unexamined mind. I just don't. If you hadn't had, I, I was like, I'm not dating anyone who hasn't had 20 years of therapy, literally. When I asked my husband, I was like, well, what do you think about therapy? He's like, I'm a big fan. I was like, how big? He was like, <laughs> I've had a lot of therapy. I was like, if you had to approximate, he's like, at least 20 years. I was like, okay, date two can happen. <laughs> um, how did you then get to that tipping point in that first relationship to leave? Because I, I'm always thinking about Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom in order to get back up or to change your life. Yeah. But hitting rock bottom freaking sucks. And so I think about people that may never get to that tipping point. So they just live their entire lives in this toxic cycle. And um, so what do you think it was that allowed you to get to that tipping point, which then after you got back from that vacation, you could then speak up? Well, I think that we have to establish that living a mediocre life also sucks. And if you're in a relationship where you're walking on eggshells and you're afraid of the person and you feel responsible for their feelings, which you actually cannot be, that's definitely not your best life. So I think that's important to establish, right? Mm -hmm. That you being your balls to the wall, fully expressed, unique self, which we cannot do in toxic or unhealthy relationships, that's the goal in life, is to be the the... The, the, you being the youest you that you can possibly be, which honestly we can't do in toxic relationships because that person's trying to control us and keep us small. So I feel like anybody can do what I did. The real thing is, so many of my clients would say, I mean, this person, there's, they didn't do anything terrible to me. Like there's nothing really wrong with them. I'm like, hey, man, there doesn't have to be anything wrong with them for them to be wrong for you. Ooh. Right? You are not unloving if you don't want to stay with someone because they're not lighting you up because you no longer want to have sex with them because you thought they were a different person and they're not. They're not doing their work. You're evolving, changing, growing, doing your thing. They're not. If you have big beautiful, incredible, audacious dreams for your online business, but you actually lack the confidence in your ability to then actually make it happen. And I promise you, my homie, and I say this with all the love and compassion in my heart, your company will never get where you want it to go. I've been there, guys. In Growing Quest, I had to face myself every day. I didn't know what I was doing. And I really wish that I had Shopify at the time. Because when you choose to grow your business with Shopify, you have everything you need to make your dreams a reality. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with their incredible Magic AI, award-winning customer service, 
and the internet's best converting checkout, you literally have everything you need to make all of your amazing businesses' dreams a reality. And that's exactly why I adore and love Shopify. If you're serious about growing your freaking badass business and you want to build your confidence and have faith, then Shopify is here for you. So go over right now and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash lisa all lowercase guys again that is go to shopify.com slash lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in one more time that's shopify.com slash lisa you won't regret it that people can grow apart and you can invite someone to grow with you and then there comes a point if they're not going to do it that you have to save yourself the boat is sinking get off Swim away. It's okay for you to save yourself because this is your one and only life. This is not a dress rehearsal. Like we're live right now. This is it, people. And that was what you had, you just had enough of it where you realized that you weren't living that perfect, like that life that you'd envisioned. Well, I missed the other parts of who I was. I wasn't just this person's girlfriend. And in that life, I was. That is what I was. Even though I was a talent agent with a big career, even though I have three sisters that I love to death and the same friend since 1970. Like, I, I had a big life before, and my life got boiled down to like what I did with that person in that apartment. Everything else was fraught. Traveling, going to parties, ah, like so insecure. This guy was endlessly like, I really think you're going to leave me. Finally, I thought, that's the best idea you've ever had. I'm definitely going to leave you, <laughs> which I didn't say. <laughs> but I was thinking like, yeah. So I think that for me, it was, it was a, an accumulation of a lot of things, but also my truest self. And I had a lot of therapy. My truest self was like, I'm never going to be able to evolve in this relationship because it requires me to be too small. I, I'd rather be alone than be people pleasing until my dying day. Like I don't want to manage. Because think about it, what are we doing in a relationship like this? We are managing the other person. We're not connecting in a heart way, we're managing. I didn't even care about how I felt, I just cared about how he felt. That's not love, that's manipulation in itself. Mm. So identity, you having the identity of, oh, my identity right now is of being his girlfriend and that is it. Right. And then projecting what my life would look like if I stayed in this relationship. Yes. And I did not like what I saw. I was like, it's scary to be alone. You know what? It's scarier to think about being in this apartment in 50 years from now. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's super powerful. Um, okay, as we're talking about boundaries and manipulation tactics, I've heard you talk about how people actually will use boundaries as a manipulation tactic. Um, and you use the, um, uh, the example of Jonah Hill. So if you don't mind explaining that, like I, I'd never thought about this before. Yes. So if you don't know, the Jonah Hill thing quickly is that he um, went into the DMs of this gal who is a uh, professional surfer. So her whole Instagram account is her as a surfer in bathing suits with other surfers. That's what she does. So they started dating. And what became public was exchanges between them where he was basically, this is six months. Via eight, text. Via text. In, so, but maybe eight months into the relationship. And I don't have all the details perfectly, so don't, don't fact check me other than I know that we were privy to their text messages. This is a year after they broke up. His girlfriend went public with what had gone on between them. 
because it was super toxic and manipulative and she was really like, just couldn't stay silent. So I'm not approving of that, disapproving of that. Let's just talk about the actual content. Basically the content is he was saying, you need to be the type of person who doesn't go out to lunch with your floozy girlfriends, basically. You do not, you, the type of person who goes out to lunch or spends any time with other men at all, you need to be taking these pictures off your Instagram feed, the ones in your bathing suit, the, the trashy. But the way he was saying it, he was trying to make it seem all above board. So he gives a list of demands and then says, these are my boundaries. And if you can't agree to these boundaries, no hard feelings, then you're just not the right person for me. So the internet was like blowing up and so many people who don't know squat about boundaries was like, I mean, why is he wrong? Why is he wrong? He said it's okay if she didn't agree. I was like, no, he, that's not, that's what he said, but that's not what he meant <laughs> because literally what he did, he knew exactly who she was when he was attracted to her because of her Instagram feed. He knew she was a professional surfer. She's going to be in bathing suits because that's your outfit when you're a surfer, right? You're going to be wearing pants on your surfboard? Probably not. So him going in and saying, you're the kind of person, like if you're the kind of person who is okay with this, then you're not my kind of person anymore. Then you're not the kind of person I want to be in a relationship with. All judgmental. It would be like her meeting him as a famous actor and six months later saying, um, you're the kind of person, <laughs> I need you to be the kind of person who no longer does any romantic leads. You can only be the sidekick because that's my boundary. You kissing another woman in a role, even though that's your job, which was your job the moment I met you and I knew it, now my boundary says you can't do that anymore. So in neither one of those cases would that be a boundary. This is someone trying to mask manipulation and control. It's coercive control, because I'm trying to make you feel like crap about yourself, because you're the kind of person who has pictures of yourself scantily clad on your Instagram account. So it's control. It's not a boundary. So clarity, our boundaries are about us. Her boundary, eventually, I think she broke up with him, is to say, I, you are not the boss of me. I didn't suddenly become a surfer. It's like you didn't meet me as, like you know what I mean? Like I didn't become a surfer, I already was. Her boundary is, I will not take down pictures on my Instagram feed because it makes you feel insecure. Those pictures have been there since you met me. You knew who I was. And that would be asserting yourself and your own boundaries. Like, I will not be controlled. Because that's what our boundaries do for us. So it's not her telling him he can't have a, he can't be in a movie with a romantic movie, right? That's not a boundary because that's me asserting control over you. I have a right to assert control over me. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So it's like sometimes I'll hear, like one of my clients had a, a boyfriend who was like, um, when you're out with your girlfriends, you need to call me every hour. That's my boundary. Because you know how, how I can feel insecure. And she was like, well, I mean, it's not a big deal. I can do it. I was like, well, first of all, that's not a boundary. That's a request. 
right? That's a request. That's not a boundary. They're different things. Do you want to go out with your friends and ever on the 759, 859, 959, you got to call your boyfriend? Do you want to? Because that's control, right? It's like, or that same boyfriend would send a text to her saying, I know you're out with your girlfriends. I hope you're having fun without me. LOL. Uh-huh. LOL. No, you're not LOLing, buddy. You're trying to make her feel bad. <laughs> right? There's no LOLing. No. You're like, mm, trying to make you feel bad that you went out with your friends. And that's why I put the caveat, like, at the end, like, without me. Uh-huh. Hope you're having fun without me. That same boyfriend, she broke up with him since then, <laughs> that same boyfriend would do what we just called vague posting. If he was mad at her, he would like post something really weird on Instagram, like some people just can't be trusted. You're like, oh, is everything okay? Like to get a rise and to make her feel insecure and be like, is he mad at me about something? Mm, that second guessing. Yeah. I was like, don't even ask him about the post. He wants to be cryptic and weird. Let him be. If he's got something to say to you, he's going to have to use words. Mm -mm. That's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's so freaking powerful, especially the Jonah Hill scenario, because I'd never heard or thought about a boundary being a manipulated tactic. And as you broke that down, I assume then for people at home as well, there's the difference between doing that six months later and you know that you're actually, you're attracted to their photos of them in a bathing suit and now that's the thing you're telling them to do versus let's say you start dating someone and then all of a sudden, let's say she decides to be an only fan. Yep. It's very different, yes. I assume. Absolutely. Because you don't, you, you didn't meet them that way. That would have to be a conversation. Now, it's a conversation, not can I get your permission? Mm. When you're in a relationship, I ask my husband, how do you feel about me doing this thing that's going to take me to Australia for two weeks. Would you be willing to come with me for a week? How do you feel? Does it? It's going to be the summer though. So how is that? Like, how do you feel? Because we're partners. If he's like, you know, Tara, it's a bad time because of something. I'd say, okay, let me see. If, let me see if there's a way we can do it a different time here. Or he'll say, it's not a great time, but go without me. It's okay. Go. I understand. This is a great opportunity for you, right? So we'll work it out. So. I think that the communication aspect is so important mm -hmm. too, to be able to work it out. But if someone is going to suddenly suddenly be a what is it OnlyFans? Uh, OnlyFans, yeah. <laughs> They're going to make an OnlyFans account. I think that that certainly is something that you might want to have a conversation about, because the same way, if your partner is doing something that impacts you, because that could impact them. It's like uh, my husband goes into war zones to, he's an artist, and so he's a visual journalist, it's called, where he'll go into hot war zones at times and draw what's happening. Yeah. So that's a conversation. He's a grown-up. This is his dharma. This is what he does. So even though he was like, can I go in the beginning when this all started happening like 15 years ago, I was like, uh, I'm super not the boss of you, dude. He's like, but how do you feel? I was like, listen, my question to you is how do you feel? And he's like, oh, it's a dream come true. I'm like, then you must do it. And I will manage my feelings, right? Am I worried you're going into a war zone? Yeah, I am. Can I tolerate that for you to do your heart's desire? Yes, I can. Would I have felt different if our kids weren't grown? If I had little kids, maybe. 
But but these are these are the types of conversations where we consider what the other person feels without using the way that they feel about us as a manipulation tactic, mm. right? Like if I if I didn't want him to go, he wouldn't have gone. Like that's a fact. But I was like, and my kids, you know, they were grown at the time then, right? Because I have I married a widower, so my kids are older, and they were like, how are you letting dad go to Iraq? Like, what if he gets blown up? And I was like, babe, I love dad. You know who I don't own? Dad. Like, I, how do you think dad will feel about me? If, I'm, if I manipulate him into not going because I'm afraid, and then he doesn't do it, and he's had like a beautiful experience from doing it, you know? So it's, it's about ownership too, that healthy relationships, we really get like we're journeying together. And what a beautiful, amazing opportunity. But it really isn't, even, even being married, I, I don't see it myself as ownership. I see it as a commitment to being co-pilots. Like I want to be securely tethered and completely free. Mm, that's so cool. I love that. Um, so what about though, if you've been in a relationship for a while, and I'm just going to keep on the Jonah Hill thing because sure. it's so powerful. Yeah. I do understand and very clear about the difference where you're setting a boundary, which isn't really a boundary. It's more of a control element in order to um, the, to change them. As you change, right, when you're in a relationship for a while, you hope that you change, right? I'm such an um, advocate for a growth mindset. So I'm not the person I was last year, yeah. and I'm not, hopefully, won't be the same person I am next year. And so your preferences are going to change. Your wants, your needs, your desires may evolve and change. So how do you then start to set new boundaries? And what is then that difference between setting a new boundary um, later on in a relationship that maybe you were fine with when you first met them? Oh, such a good question. So for this exact thing, when I counsel couples, or back in the day when I was doing a lot of couples work, I would have couples do um, a couple, it's basically a, a couple's vision. So every year, annually, we revisit the couple's vision. And we also would meet every other week for what I call the state of the union, basically, where we're asking, how are we doing? What's good? What can we work on? So we start with gratitudes, right? Every other week. And my husband and I, do, we just do it Sunday mornings in bed because it's easy breezy, coffee, New York Times, and talking. Because usually my husband, is he's such a workaholic. He's all like, get up. and blah. So on Sundays, I'm like, two hours, you're not getting up. We're staying here. And really, it's checking in, like, how are we doing? Because you are going to change, hopefully. I pray, right? This is what we want to do. So if you have a couple's vision, this is when you talk about how are we? How do we see ourselves spending our money? Like, do we share money? Do we not share money? Where do we want to spend? If we do have money that we can spend, do we want to travel? Are we on the same page there? If you change your mind, sometimes, right, you change. Like, Vic, want, my husband wanted to get animals and, like, turn, like, my house into a farm, basically. And that wasn't originally in the plan. You have geese. We do. And we had chickens <laughs> and we're getting a rooster. Like, there's, we got our own eggs. It's lovely. But that was in one of our couple's visions, our annual conversations. Mm -hmm. He was like, how do you feel about this? I know it wasn't the plan. And then I was like, if you love it, if you really want to do it, we can do it. So, again, how do you address it. So th those are more structured ways of addressing it. And then we have the, the more day-to-day -day ways of addressing when your boundary has changed. So let's give an example. Let's say that maybe you were willing to, I don't know, let's just say do your partner's laundry, let's just say. And then maybe you got to a point where you don't feel like doing that anymore. 
or we could say this with kids too, with like teenagers, you know, maybe you don't feel like doing it anymore. Then you have to have a conversation that says, hey, I know for all these years, I've been willing to do this and I'm actually changing and wanting more of my downtime to be my own. So I actually am going to hand this back to you to do. Now that's that, and that is a boundary, right? Because you're, you're gaining back energy, time, bandwidth, and sort of pushing it back to the other person. And that may be a conversation. Maybe your partner saw you doing their laundry as like a part of their love language and maybe their feelings will be hurt. So there needs to be a conversation about that. Maybe you used to think it was okay that your partner was in touch with their ex, let's just say, Mm -hmm. but maybe they've developed a relationship that feels threatening to you and maybe you don't like that. So let's think about, can we brainstorm? I'm feeling threatened by this. It feels like your ex is taking space in a part of your life, your heart, that I feel like should only be mine. What can we do? If you have a healthy relationship, you can have a conversation. Maybe your partner says, well, I've invited you to come with us, but you always say no. What if you came with us and you had your own relationship with her, right? Like there's ways that we can problem solve and you're allowed. One of the Boundary Boss Bill of Rights is I'm allowed to make mistakes, course correct, or change my mind, which includes changing your boundaries. Mm, That's such a beautiful breakdown. And so even in... It's the it's the discussion piece versus the control and command and de- demand, I should say. Yes, exactly. It's bringing it to the conversation. This is how I'm feeling. I'm having this thought. Um, what are your thoughts about this? Or I'd like to make a simple request, right? It can be very easy language that you let me know if you're going to be late or, or whatever the thing is that is now bothering you. Perhaps it didn't used to bother you, but now your partner's coming late all the time and maybe it is bothering you or maybe it used to bother you, but you didn't have the courage to say anything about it. You're allowed to change your mind, course correct, and say, hey, I'd like to make a simple request that if you're going to be late, you let me know because when you don't, it really makes me feel unimportant to you. It like hurts my feelings in a way. And it could be potentially just a season of your life. Because as you were talking, I was like, oh, it's interesting because my husband, we got so busy about a year and a half ago that he went from working, let's say, a 90-hour week to 120-hour a week. And I was okay at the beginning, but over time, I started to feel that distance. And so I said, look, I... I'm starting to feel the distance. I would like if you actually came up to the bedroom and we just hung out for an hour before bed. And I don't need it every night, so maybe we'll do like Tuesdays and Fridays or something like that. And so I broke that down to him. But then we ended up, he now works a bit less. He only works like 100 hours a week. And so now I actually don't feel that need as much. And Mm -hmm. so I've even said to him like, oh, you know, when I requested you come up to the bedroom that we get to spend time together, I'm actually okay now. I don't need it. If I do need it again, I'll bring it up to you. Yeah. And how did he respond? Oh, amazingly well. Right. But the thing is, he responds to your concern. Mm -hmm. So in a healthy relationship, We're able to voice our concerns or our desires or where we feel unsatisfied. And the other person, rather than being super defensive, can be like, how you feel matters. Let's figure it out. Let's brainstorm it. And this is something that if you're not doing it in your relationship right now, don't feel bad because a lot of people don't do it. You can learn how to establish boundaries, negotiate boundaries, negotiate for your needs, but you have to assert yourself. And I think this is the thing that's missing with so many women in particular is the fear of asserting Mm -hmm. themselves because there's a fear of being rejected or being shut down. 
And sometimes we just have to feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, I used to be the person as well. And I even, I, I um, identified in myself what I was doing, but I would say to him, a little sometimes snide comments like, oh yeah, I don't really see you anymore. And I realized, so again, like I'm not perfect and I want to make sure that in having explained all of that, it actually came about as a result yeah. of me realizing that I was being somewhat a little passive aggressive and kind of dropping a bit of hints, making him feel a little bad about him. You know, <laughs> right. and it's like, I was like, oh, that actually isn't nice. And it doesn't make him feel good. It definitely doesn't make me feel good. Right. So what's a better strategy? Like I'm such a like tactical strategy. I love strategy yeah. in that like, okay, I'm not getting what I want. Right. Now he feels bad. I feel bad because I'm such a people pleaser. So I was like, oh God, I just feel so bad that I made him feel guilty. Um, and it was this freaking horrifying spiral. And so that's where I got to, okay, let me just explain to him. Right. And then it ended up being beautiful. But how amazing though, you really make a great distinction because how many people watching or listening Drop the the hint, mm -hmm. drop the snide comment, say the thing, well, must be nice to get to sleep in instead of being like, tomorrow, can you get up with the baby so I can sleep in, right? <laughs> Actually asking for what you want and what you need and being okay. Like our, our people are gonna have limitations, right? But if we don't assert ourselves, if we don't ask for what we want, most of the time we won't get it, right? Because our partners don't read our minds. People in general can't read our minds. So again, the passive aggressive dropping the hints doesn't work because people don't pick up on it or it works to only make the other person feel bad or resentful mm. at you for dropping the hint. But not, not like it's not reparative. It doesn't actually get you what you want. It's not effective as you're saying. It's so much more effective to learn, to communicate directly knowing that you can always do it with love and kindness. We can always do it with a smile. A lot of times I use humor when, I'm, when I, I need to say something to someone because it doesn't have to be this really serious, terrible thing. Mm. Um, and even if I'm talking about myself, like I'll use humor, like, I don't know, sometimes I could be insecure, even if it's true. Even if I am feeling insecure, I'll be like, I need some reassurance right now. I'll ask my husband, you know, and it, even 25 years later, which of course he's like, okay, what can I do? But saying it and almost like calling myself out saves all this time and energy of me feeling unsatisfied and then resentful. And it's like a cycle that doesn't work. So direct communication and the, the language of boundaries is so important mm -hmm. in this. And I realize I don't want someone to do it because they're now resentful or they're sensing my resentfulness or because they feel badly. That isn't actually a healthy way to get somebody to um, act in the way that maybe, you know, you want. So like, I want my husband to come up early. Like, I don't want it to, him to do it out of guilt or shame. I actually want him to do it because it's like, oh, my wife just told me, like, it would really be meaningful to her. Now he feels good about himself yes. by doing it. Not Because then if he was to come up, Terry, and he'll be like, okay, I'm here. It's eight o'clock. You know, I'll be <laughs> like, I feel really bad now he's doing that out of obligation. So right. now I feel bad. And so you still don't get what you want, even though you kind of do get what you want. Yes, exactly. A lot of my clients will say, I want him to think of it himself. And I always say, no, that, that is a recipe for disaster. That is saying he needs to have some crystal ball, which he doesn't have. It's letting the person do, fulfill the need once you have the courage to ask for it, allowing them mm -hmm. to do it. And hopefully they're receiving it with love and you're, you're sending it with love. But I agree with you. It's like, 
if we shame someone into doing it, it doesn't feel good. Even when it gets delivered, it's like, uh, Yeah, it's right. so true. Um, and then earlier you said about how people will use boundaries as, uh, or Jonah Hill specifically, but there are other people, it's very common that people may do this mm -hmm. as a way of being like a, coerc a coercive way of doing it. What mm -hmm. other types of coercive um, behaviors um, exist that we may not be aware of? I mean, people, there can be coercive control with money, right? Where someone has the power over you because they have the power over the purse strings. And I see this in extended families a lot. Like it can happen with extended families and wealthy families where it's like grandpa is going to, will buy you an apartment on Fifth Avenue. But that means every time grandpa wants anything from you, you got to show up. You got to show up and do it. Or he expects you to go on a family vacation twice a year. You know what I mean? I had a client who was in that situation. And I was like, here's the thing about coercive control with money. Most of the time, money, someone else giving you money, even family money, is not free. So unless it's very healthy, and there's very healthy ways that, that money can get transferred through trusts and where it's not a manipulation, but I've seen it being very coercive. Um, what about with sex? Someone coercively saying, if you don't have sex with me, you don't love me. If you don't have sex with me, I'm breaking up with you. If you don't do this thing that I want you to do, even though you feel uncomfortable, I don't know why you don't want to do it. My ex used to do it, right? And it's coercion because they're threatened. There's got to be some implied threat, right, of coercive control. Like you're going to lose something, whether I'm going to break up with you if you don't do it or whether grandpa's not going to buy you the apartment if you don't do it. Um, or even coercive control just in shaming someone, right? Where if you don't do this, then you're a bad person. Um, coercive control also where you might bring in someone else. And that's also just manipulation where you might be like, I mean, I didn't want to say anything, but Bob also thinks you're off the rails. Like Bob, Bob's with me on this. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but he mentioned it to me. So making you feel like if you don't do the thing that not not only does your partner think you're nuts, but so does everyone else. Mm. And would they do that? Um would they do that in public as well, like around other people? It's like, yeah, she, she wouldn't do this or... Absolutely. That's another That's another form of public shaming. Mm. So it's like, you don't want to be embarrassed. So they ask you to, they, they make you sort of agree to something in front of other people because they're embarrassing you, trying to embarrass you. Mm. And so what does that do then from a psychological standpoint? All of this, any of these manipulation tactics that we've talked about in this episode, coercion, coercive control, it is so dehumanizing to the person experiencing it. It just scratches away at your sense of self one experience at a time where you can really get to a point where you literally don't even know who you are because someone who is manipulating you in that way you really ultimately start feeling like you're, you really are a bad person. You really are losing it, right? If someone is gaslighting you and like really messing with your reality, you, I've had clients come in really being like, I don't know what's real and what's not real because I'll have a conversation with my partner. They'll agree to something. And then three days later, they'll be like, I never said that. And you're like, uh, do I need to record to convert? Like, am I losing my mind? And um, when someone is really gaslighting you, someone is really manipulating you, they will absolutely boldface lie. They will absolutely just lie to continue to have that control over you. And what do you, um, 
encourage in those situations with your clients when they say that? First of all, tell someone. First and happening. foremost, talk to people. Because what ends up happening is the isolation. People who are very manipulative have this, this uh, skill of like getting you away from the people in your life because you're embarrassed. You can feel embarrassed that like you're putting up with this crap. You know it's bad, but you're afraid. So you protect the abuser. You don't want to tell anybody. Not to mention because you know they're going to tell you to leave and you don't feel like you can. So it's really a double bind. I think that talk to someone non-judgmental. Ask them to not give you any input. You just want them to know that you're really in pain about this and what's really happening in your relationship. Secrecy is really, this breeds show, so much shame as Brene Brown talks about. So we, we don't want it to be a secret. That's the beginning. And I think you have to be real about, are you loved in this relationship? Do you feel loved? Or do you know, listening to this, maybe this is your wake-up call, that you feel trapped. That's how you feel. Because love and pain do not have to do this. Love and fear do not have to be intertwined in this way that they are in toxic relationships. But it doesn't have to be like that. You don't deserve it. I'm, I'm telling you, love does not have to hurt in that way, right? Of course, we hurt each other in a normal way, but in the way abusive relationships, you're in so much pain all the time. You're so afraid all the time. There's no rest when you're in a bad relationship like that because it's so scary. But you don't deserve that. So talk to someone. And honestly, if you know it's time to go, make a very private plan to leave. And I have a whole, we can put it in the show notes, I have a whole um, episode of my podcast on how to safely leave an abusive relationship. Do not tell anyone, meaning the, the trusted person, yes, but do not um, advertise it to the partner, right? You want to keep everything close to your chest because that's the way to stay the safest. Mm. Harry, we've just touched the surface of all the things that's in your amazing workbook. Um, where can people find you and then the Boundary Boss Workbook? They can actually find this at boundarybossworkbook.com or amazon.com. So really buy it on Amazon and then go and get your bonuses because we have a whole bunch of beautiful bonuses for people. I really think that people are going to love this book. I'm very proud of it. 